Hello, and welcome to the Tidewater Project, a podcast that seeks to give voice to untold stories and shed light on the darkness that haunts America's history. We move forward together with those voices, advocating for change firmly founded in the belief that each voice and each story matters. In our debut season of the Tidewater Project, students from Christopher Newport University will explore everything from the local controversy etched into the founding of the university to something as nationally encompassing as gun violence. We have each examined a different aspect of the area to explore how historical and ongoing issues can have lasting effects and the steps we as a community can take to improve our current situation. By amplifying regional voices, we hope to provide a new perspective on the universal ties that bind us. We aim to inspire, to inform, and to engage. So join us on this journey. We hope you enjoy what you find. From Newport News, Virginia, I'm Dr. Brooke Covington, and this is The Tidewater Project. Episode 1, Introducing the Tidewater Project. So here we are. It's finals week, December 2021, 21 months living, working, learning in a pandemic. We all feel drained, but I also feel really inspired by what we are about to share with you. This podcast has been the passion project of our semester, a collective effort to amplify the stories in our local community and connect those stories to what we've been learning in our interdisciplinary studies course titled The Introduction to Civic Engagement and Social Justice. Over the course of the semester, we have examined some of the foundational theories and principles related to social justice and gradually moved toward putting those concepts into practice. This podcast is a reflection of our efforts. Creating a podcast means that we embarked on an altogether different kind of journey, a different vehicle through which we hope to not only demonstrate, but also share the knowledge we cultivated together this semester. Nobody in the class has previously written, recorded, or produced their own podcast episode, and I have only ever done it once as part of an intense and wonderful experience with the National Humanities Center Podcasting Institute. As a longtime listener and lover of podcasts, I wanted to share this genre with my students and see what we might create. At times fun, at times frustrating, I think I speak for all when I say we are proud of what we were able to produce in such a short period of time. So I'll start by giving some background on the course itself and the podcasting assignment, and then I'll describe some of the major topics we explored in class before finally turning it over to the students to showcase their personal philosophies for how community engagement should be performed. These philosophies will contextualize each of the following episodes in our debut season and provide a glimpse of the high caliber students I had the great privilege of teaching and learning from this semester. Each week, These students have humbled, 
and inspired me. I hope they do the same for you. Okay, so welcome to IDST 250, Introduction to Civic Engagement and Social Justice. I'm Dr. Brooke Covington, a faculty member in the English department here at Christopher Newport University, and I'll be your instructor, troubleshooter, co-learner, and teammate while you're here. This course meets one of the core requirements of the civic engagement and social justice minor at Christopher Newport University. I direct the minor. Please reach out to me at my email address listed in the podcast notes if you'd like more information on the minor or what we get up to in our classes. Shameless plug, I know, I know. Back to our regularly scheduled program. IDST 250, Introduction to Civic Engagement and Social Justice, is an interdisciplinary course that introduces students to the theory and praxis of civic and community engagement while exploring foundational principles of social justice. We explore the differing and sometimes competing notions of diversity, community engagement, and social justice at a local, state, national, and even global level. Through this course, we were able to explore what it means to be an active and engaged citizen and learn more about the community where we live, work, and play. Throughout the semester, we reflected on the following questions. What does it mean to be engaged in a community? In what communities do we live? How do we define community? How do we determine who is in our community and who is not? What is the role of social justice in community engagement? How can we address broader social and structural inequalities through community engagement? What characterizes the local environment in which CNU is located? Who are the community activists in the Hampton Roads area? What opportunities are available for engagement? What are some common moral or ethical dilemmas associated with community campus engagement? How do our personal values and social location shape our ideas about deservingness and the principles that inform our engagement practices? When do community engagement groups and institutions challenge existing structures of inequality? And when do they intentionally or unintentionally reproduce them? Over the course of the past 16 weeks, we have engaged in several projects. For five weeks, we posted to our current event blog to learn more about the people, places, and events in our community and how they are represented by the media. We read from a diverse array of texts, from Kimberlé Crenshaw's Theory of Intersectionality to Peggy McIntosh's Unpacking of Privileges in the Invisible Knapsack, to Ella Baker's Theories of Catalytic Leadership. Students use these texts to inform and challenge their community engagement philosophies, which some students from the class will share with you at the end of this episode. Finally, teams of four work together to generate a podcast episode focused on the local community and issues of social justice. The Tidewater Project is a reflection of those efforts. The prompt was purposely broad so students could claim ownership over their ideas and pursue their interests. Student teams generated episode ideas, wrote podcast proposals, conducted interviews, and collected research, all in preparation to write, record, and produce 
their podcast episodes and associated podcast notes and cover art. It was labor-intensive and challenging, invariably fun and frustrating, but on the whole, hopefully a project worth the time and effort invested. You may hear several names or concepts surface throughout the podcast, especially in the later segment of the episode. These concepts and theorists are largely pulled from our course materials. I'll review some of what stood out to me when I compiled this set of materials and the pieces I emphasized to students as we explored these readings together. We started off the semester by creating H collages, where each of us, including me, created collages that responded to the four H's. Home, where is home for you? Happiness, what brings you happiness? Here, what are you doing here? either at CNU or in this course, and hopes. What are your hopes for the future? After sharing our collages with each other, we studied excerpts from an edited collection called Readings for Diversity and Social Justice. With these readings, we learned from Leanne Bell that social justice is both a goal and a process. The goal of social justice is full and equitable participation of people from all social identity groups in a society that is mutually shaped to meet their needs. The process for attaining the goal of social justice should also be democratic and participatory, respectful of human diversity and group differences, and inclusive and affirming of human agency and capacity for working collaboratively with others to create change. We use these readings to define, for ourselves, elusive terms like diversity, social justice, equity, inclusion, and socialization. We examined the ways in which oppression is hegemonic, pervasive, restrictive, intersecting, internalized, cumulative, hierarchical, durable, and mutating. While examining oppression, we also engaged in difficult discussions about privilege. Using Peggy McIntosh's seminal article, White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, we explored some of our own invisible and largely unearned privileges that we take for granted, an ignorance that allows us to remain complicit in society's oppressive systems. During one class period, we used the whiteboards in our classroom to unpack our invisible knapsacks, to make visible our privileges by writing them on the walls around us. After reflecting on those privileges, we use sticky notes to comment back and forth to one another, sometimes affirming privileges that we shared, other times challenging those privileges by sharing what it's like to not gain access to them. Of course, I'm a notorious pack rat when it comes to teaching. <laughs> So I kept the sticky notes. Every now and then, I'll flip through them to remind myself of some of the struggles my students are facing. In no particular order, I wanna share some of these post-it notes. Keep in mind, these are fragments of a larger conversation that was unfolding through messages written on whiteboards and surrounding sticky notes. It was truly a web of stories all over the classroom. Here are the fragments. I'm not perceived as dangerous. Same. 
I will never have to question, is it okay or will I be judged for using whatever bathroom I want? My parents are immigrants here from Vietnam and worked at McDonald's for years because that's all they could do at the time. I went to work with my parents who later got two jobs to keep us afloat. The only reason I'm here is because of scholarships. Accommodations are often not honored by teachers. I'm scared of going into cities without a man with me. Even then, I'm still unsure of my safety. As a sexual assault survivor, this is always on the forefront of my mind when going out. It's often forgotten that most descendants of African slaves don't know their African heritage because we were never taught where slaves came from in school. As a woman, I have access to health care, but I'm not always trusted with my body or my decisions. The expectation that I have to come out or I'm lying centers straight people's comfort and control over queer narratives. I wish colorism was a more understood idea. Being a darker Hispanic, I've always been disadvantaged by my colorism. Levels of colorism are important and impact how I see things too, being mixed and lighter. This is my double consciousness in being biracial. I feel I'll get a pass for looking like I could have white in me. In some states, my life matters less than a fetus. I have always felt protected by the police, never threatened because of my race. I fear for my friends' and family's lives because of this. This activity demonstrated to all of us the importance of social identity theory and how social group memberships across race, ability, ethnicity, sex, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, religion, and age are intersectional at all levels and impact our experiences with privilege and oppression. We engaged with Crenshaw's Mapping the Margins to further illuminate the role of intersectionality as it manifests in social, cultural, political, educational, and institutional contexts. According to Crenshaw, intersectionality acknowledges that individuals' advantaged and disadvantaged social identities intersect and overlap to create specific experiences of oppression that cannot be reduced to one identity or another. Essentially, intersectionality acknowledges that each person's experience of oppression and discrimination is unique based on their intersecting and overlapping social identities, such as race, ability, ethnicity, sex, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, religion, and age. With these concepts added to our tool belts, we then began to move from theory to practice, and Patricia S. Parker's new book on Ella Baker's catalytic leadership helped guide our development. Several of the students referenced this book in their community engagement philosophies. Truthfully, I believe we all connected with Ella Baker's philosophies on a deep level. 
From Ella Baker, we learned so much. We gained a concrete set of communication practices for doing social justice leadership and equitable partnership with, instead of on, communities. We learned to be group-centered instead of leader-centered. And we explored the value of drawing on community-based expertise in defining catalyzing questions and the means for social change. Following the wise words and actions of Ella Baker, we practice critical self-reflection and radical listening, which you will learn more about from my students in the next segment of the episode. We embrace the power of participative decision-making structures, where knowledge flows from the grassroots up rather than from the top down. This group-centered approach creates the social space necessary for oppressed people to speak and act on their own behalf rather than relying on one charismatic leader. We witness the power of counter storytelling as a vehicle through which marginalized groups tell their stories, which may run counter to the dominant narratives that circulate in society. And lastly, we explored the importance of integrating radical self-care into activism. Ella Baker acknowledges that social justice work is exhausting Luckily, Patricia Parker, author of the book Ella Baker's Catalytic Leadership, reminds us that to be good activists, we must prioritize self-care. These lessons we found particularly significant given that our work now occurs in the context of a global pandemic for which none of us were prepared. Ella Baker once said, I believe the struggle is eternal. Somebody else carries on. In that regard, I turn things over to my students, the potential somebody else's, who will carry on in this eternal struggle for justice and inclusion. My hope is that this course will play a small part in their approach to that struggle. You are not currently in the best condition and you recognize that. You would like to think that you are not sick, but you decide to go to the doctor anyways. The doctor uses a stethoscope in order to listen to the inside of your body to listen for any abnormalities in your breathing or in your heart. Your doctor is able to then use that information to determine whether or not you are sick. Your doctor uses a method known as auscultation. While this method is perfect in the world of medicine, in the world of community engagement, it's less than ideal. Listening in order to find a problem doesn't help people who are dealing with systemic issues that are deeper than the surface issues we can clearly see. This is why, in the world of community engagement, it is necessary to implement a method I have come up with known as the anti-auscultation method. The anti-auscultation has three aspects of how to listen. Listening with intention, listening to the system, and listening as a follower. The first idea of listening with intention refers to the idea of listening with the intention of listening rather than with the intention of speaking or of fixing. This idea of intentional listening is discussed in What Can We Do by Alan Johnson. In the article, Johnson discusses the importance of listening with intention that can easily be summed up with the blunt statement, quote, listen to what's being said, take it seriously, unquote. Being defensive and overbearing aren't qualities that help disenfranchise people's voices become heard. If the people who are actually living through the predicament are not being listened to, where is the accuracy in referring to it as community engagement? Because we have a westernized view on what is right, looks like, 
We could say that a community is doing wrong and thus form a misconceived notion where there may not be a problem in the eyes of the community themselves. The second idea of listening to the system refers to not blaming the members of any community for any predicament they happen to be in, but rather to blame the systemic factors that have formed as a result of history taking its course over time. No one person or group is to blame for any systemic issues that have formed. Recognizing, though, the role that privilege plays in community predicaments and what privileges each of us carries in our invisible knapsack is crucial for the anti-auscultation method. This idea of an invisible knapsack is discussed in White Privilege Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack by Peggy McIntosh. McIntosh discusses the idea that we are taught to not view our privileges and to instead view the shortcomings of those who are disenfranchised. Even if someone is discriminated against in one aspect of their lives, chances are they are privileged in another aspect. Recognizing that privilege and discrimination are two sides of the same coin of systemic issues is key to understanding and empathizing with the community and their predicaments. The final idea of listening as a follower is self-explanatory. Listening to follow instead of listening to lead gives those who are disenfranchised a voice. The idea of taking a back seat on societal issues is discussed in the book Ella Baker's Catalytic Leadership. Patricia Parker discusses the idea that, quote, people under the heels of oppression should be the ones leading through practicing critical self-reflexivity, which is questioning roles and checking privilege, radical listening for entering partnerships, which is listening as intentionality towards co-action, and critical networking, which is convening spaces of fellowship in which community experts and academic or other sources of expertise co-mingle to build trust and mutual respect and identify social justice needs." Unquote. When it comes to community engagement, it is necessary for the ones entering any given community to take a step back and cooperate with those in the community. Overall, Anti-auscultation is centered around the idea that the purpose of listening is to simply listen and not to fix. Taking each story into consideration in order to then find a solution to a systemic issue is the way to go in order to truly reach community engagement. If you are involved in the world of community engagement, learn to listen with open ears and leave the auscultation to the doctors. Creating a community engagement philosophy is an important first step in cultivating collaborative, reciprocal, and respectful relationships when engaging with the community. I think that having empathy for others and recognizing my privilege are two commitments that I have personally made throughout my four years at Christopher Newport University. Having empathy. To promote full inclusivity and diversity, one must be able to first radically listen. In Ella Baker's Catalytic Leadership, she defines radical listening as the capacity to take full account of the context and structural inequality that might hinder people from seeing their power to change things. In radical listening, the individual should be listening to absor absorb the information or story to place themselves in others' shoes. I think that in true partnerships in the community, partners and allies have to be able to see things from the oppressed group's perspective because this shows the ability to be empathetic to situations outside of their own. Allowing counter storytelling 
gives diverse voices a chance to be heard and is the first step in creating a more reciprocal and respectful relationship within the community. Having empathy for others is a commitment that is important to me, especially in the essence of teamwork. For a team to be sufficient, I think that having empathy for one another helps build a strong foundation of trust. Trusting that your teammate or partner will always hear you out and have your best of interests promotes co-action, which is essential in collaborative relationships in the community. Recognizing privilege. In a true partnership, one must be able to assess their privilege and how their complacency has contributed to the visibly destructive systems of power. People carry invisible knapsacks of privilege around that are based on their social identity, and this provides them with a cheat sheet to success. In her article, White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, Peggy McIntosh explains that she was taught to see racism only in individual acts of meanness and not in individual systems. Things like hate crimes and direct examples of discrimination are what most people define as racist. However, since racism is a socially constructed concept, it can go much deeper. Racism has been unknowingly written into our education, military, political, justice, and workforce systems, but it isn't until there's breaking news that we question ourselves in the system. Throughout the article, Peggy McIntosh unpacked her knapsack for her audience which suggests she has self-reflected enough to understand how invisible privilege has real consequences in a visibly racist society. I think that someone who chooses to remain oblivious to their privilege helps systems of oppression remain complicit in society. White privilege is something that cannot easily be taken away, but critical self-reflection helps those that carry privilege become more aware of their invisible contributions. At the height of recognition, Privilege can be used as an, as an advantage to help protect and advocate for the disadvantaged, but it is imperative that the community partner knows their strength. I know I have my own set of privileges that is different from the next person, but how I use my privilege to help exploit oppressive systems of power is a commitment that is very important to me. My name is Annika Ng. I'm a freshman at Christopher Newport University studying political science and American studies and leadership. Being an ally for different social justice movements has always been a key part of who I am. Upon reflection, however, I've realized two principles and actions that I must commit to in my approach to community engagement. Listening with intention and listening to follow, not to lead, are two major standards that I intend to hold myself accountable to and listed below are the rules I plan to set for myself while I engage with my community. Listening with intention. Listening with intention to me means more than just listening with the information going in one ear and out the other ear. It is vital when working with social justice issues to listen with an intention. As a woman with white educational, financial, and able-bodied privileges, I understand that I come from a background that puts me at a much larger advantage than most of my peers. By listening with intention and empathy, I can hear their struggles and listen to their ideas of what I can do to empathize with them and brainstorm solutions of ways in my everyday life that I can work towards ending the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. As Alan Johnson says in his article, What We Can Do, he summarizes my intent, listen to what's being said. 
take it seriously. Listening to follow, not to lead. My time in high school was shaped by social justice. During my freshman year of high school, a racial dispute involving the Confederate flag in the parking lot created a vast divide between the student body. I realized the importance of inclusion and unity in our school, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or religion. However, I also understand that due to the privilege I hold and the fact that I am not the one directly affected by these issues means that my place as a social justice ally is not at the forefront of the movement speaking for others. My job is to be a true ally. Although I enjoy being involved in different social justice movements, my voice does not need to be the only one speaking. Instead, my intent will be to listen to those directly affected by these social justice issues and follow them as a leader. Working with communities to better society as a whole takes a lot of learning and understanding of what that specific group needs. There are many concepts and tools that are needed to understand so that the work within the community is completed in the best and most effective way possible. Education of the situation and all of the terms and concepts of how to engage with the community is the first step. This will continue all throughout and then reflecting on what has been learned as well as the privileges that may have been ignored in the past is next. Then finally, the movement can begin with the community, and they are the ones at the forefront. All of these concepts are intertwined as well as few others to help realize the multitude of layers that appear within community engagement. Education. The first step to be taken is to learn about the experiences of others and the efforts that they want to make so that a change can occur. It is from these stories that will help further the movement in the right direction and with the community rather than on the community as Ella Baker stated. She mentions this is a key strategy to catalytic leadership. She was developing a method of what might be called persistent intentionality to work with people in communities. To be a selfless leader, you need to listen to what the community needs and then work together to institute a path that will create the most differences within society. Reflection. After there is a good, solid education of the situation and all of the many stories that have been heard, it is important to reflect. Reflect on your own life experiences as well as theirs and how this will aid in the way community engagement is completed. I tend to give thought to my own life and how I could be more aware and beneficial to society as I gather more information about how the system works. It's frustrating and overwhelming, however, it makes me want to work harder towards assisting communities that do not receive the same privileges that I might. Peggy McIntosh emphasizes this idea as she discusses the importance of recognizing one's own privileges. In her writing, White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, McIntosh mentions how many individuals are ignorant of the advantages they have in society compared to others. She insists that every individual reflects and acknowledges the benefits that they have been ignoring. Even if it seems simple, like having the history of people who look like you taught in the public school curriculum, these are the kind of things that some people cannot experience. This is the type of reflection that needs to be accomplished when speaking with a community different from your own. First, listen and educate yourself about their way of life, which then might encourage you to think about things in a different perspective in maybe a way you never had before. This is also mentioned in Ella Baker's philosophy, and it is known as critical self-reflexivity. When working towards the creation of a more aware and equal society, it's important to practice this concept. 
To do that, it takes a lot of listening and self-evaluation in order to realize that you are not a savior. Instead, you are working with the community to bring awareness to inequalities and making sure the movement is in the direction they want to go. Baker mentions that we are all part of a broader complex of human capital being engaged to intervene in our particular context of power relations. Cannot stress enough the importance of taking the time to assess the biases and privileges that are given to some individuals and how to become more aware of the discrepancies within society. It is something that I will continue to do as I learn and work with communities. Action. After there has been a sufficient amount of listening, education, and self-reflection, it is a good time to start moving towards a better society and assisting the community. Now these practices can be put to use and efficient work can be done that will actually be helping these oppressed groups. It is time to plan events, fundraise, and change policies that put groups at a disadvantage. In my opinion, action cannot happen without learning and reflecting about all the concepts mentioned above. It is important to note that these practices never stop. People keep learning and growing to understand how life changes and to hear even more perspectives. Throughout working with the area, it is important to emphasize again the need to listen to what the people living there have to say. Baker mentions this quote, people under the heels of oppression should be the ones leading. This is something to remember. The oppressed are the ones that should be at the forefront of the movement. Overall, all of these terms and concepts are needed to understand how to best collaborate with community members. Throughout my life, community engagement meant almost nothing to me. I didn't partake in any service events unless they were required by my extracurricular activities, and I didn't really care to get involved. The one time I did a service event of my own choice was for my brother and was a sporting event that I loved playing. However, that recently changed in a drastic way. About six months ago, I decided I would give back to my community. This change all stemmed from one thing, community engagement. I was a part of a community engagement program started by CNU called the Community Captains. This program was made for low-income and first-generation college students to help them get into and attend college. This program went above and beyond to help me and all other community captains, and that had a deep impact on my character. As someone who really didn't do much community engagement and didn't care much about getting involved, I had no idea where to start. I knew I couldn't figure it all out by myself, so I determined three principles I would base my service on. Learning, acknowledging privileges, and reflecting. Learning. Learning is a critical part of community engagement learning about the people in the community, the history of the community, and what you can do to help the community. It is necessary to first take some time to learn before engaging, or you may cause more harm than good in the community. Acknowledging privileges. Acknowledging and transforming your privileges in a positive way is the next imperative step in community engagement. Taking the teachings of the community to heart and understanding your role in the community is the only way to properly engage. Community engagement is a never-ending practice. Those who wish to serve alone are not enough. The privileged also need to become an ally to those who are oppressed. As explained by McIntosh, the use of these privileges comes down to one question. It is an open question whether we will choose to use unearned advantage to weaken hidden systems of advantage and whether we will use any of our arbitrarily awarded power to try to reconstruct power systems on a broader base. These invisible privileges must be used by allies to help with community engagement. It is extremely easy and comforting to allow the cycle of privilege to continue for those who are blessed with it. Being able to transform those privileges to a tool to fight oppression helps build hope for a future and create a bond between allies and the oppressed. Properly engaging with the community while using all of the tools at your disposal is necessary for community engagement. Reflect. 
The final step, and one of the most important steps of community engagement, is reflection. Here, another one of Ella Baker's principles can be followed, critical self-reflexivity. Ella Baker states, first, it calls for a level of critical self-reflexivity that begins with questioning our own positionality. That involves most crucially recognizing that we are not saviors, but rather part of a broader complex of human capital being engaged to intervene in a particular context of power relations. This quote provides us with the first steps to reflection. First, knowing your own privileges and how you can use your position to help. For me, this is being able to investigate my invisible backpack and use those as tools in my community engagement. The next step is understanding that service is not the work of a hero. The best community engagement does not come from those who wish to be seen as a good person, but those who do it from the heart. Reflection is when the three philosophies should link, reflecting on what you've learned and how you can use that moving forward, reflecting on your privileges and positionality and how you can use them, and then finally reflecting on yourself and the ways you can improve as an ally. My community engagement is defined by three main principles, learning, acknowledging, acknowledging privileges, and reflecting on what was done. Discovering these three principles helped me find my voice in community engagement. I went from someone who never cared about or wanted to be engaged in the community to someone who now thrives in community engagement. Hi, I'm Christine Nguyen. The concept of community engagement has largely been misunderstood. It's now more about the pleasure of doing a good deed than making a difference in the community. More often than not, I hear about students wanting to collect their hours instead of wanting to help a cause. However, there is much more to it than service-level community work. I view community engagement as a way for me to give back to the community that has shaped me into the person I am today. It's not a job or an obligation per se, but rather something we do for the greater good of humanity. To avoid infiltrating a community and unintentionally making matters worse, there are steps that we can follow to be active and supportive allies. Community engagement involves building relationships, learning about the community's needs, and following the lead of the community members to effectively engage. To bring emphasis on the importance of building relationships, Patricia Parker states in her book, Ella Baker's Catalytic Leadership, that catalytic leadership is a concrete set of communication practices for doing social justice leadership in equitable partnership with instead of on communities. Essentially, this belief suggests that when we communicate with the people we are partnered with, our work goes beyond the few hours of our time that we spend finishing the job. By forming that bridge, we open the door for us to commit ourselves to a bigger cause. A pivotal step in getting involved with the community is to become educated about what issues community members are currently dealing with. People tend to provide one-and-done services that are often not addressing a need in a significant way. Radical listening is a key factor for community engagement. As defined by Parker in her book, radical listening is the capacity to take full account of the context of structural inequality that might hinder people from seeing their own power to change things. This allows organizers to educate themselves about the struggles that community members are facing. Before I even begin the process of volunteering, I would do research on the area that I'm looking to focus my community engagement on. Looking into that history of the area educates us on how the community came to be and what factors played into the status of that community. Talking about these issues with the community allows me to learn from the people who have experienced these issues firsthand. I would make sure that I'm listening and learning more than I'm talking. 
When involving oneself in a community project, we have to be sure that we do not overstep any boundaries or hinder any progress. It's important to recognize that we're not the leaders in this case. We're the people who are aiding in the goals that are outlined by the collaborative efforts of volunteers and community members alike. As agents, it can be difficult to understand where the line is between genuinely helping or being a savior. However, it's important that we get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We need to strip ourselves of any superiority complex that we hold onto in order to engage productively. I am from one of the racist states in the country. I'm from Tennessee. My hometown is somewhere where I feel trapped, where the ones I grew up with are either dead or pregnant. I got away. My parents divorced and I was then free. I learned what was right and what was wrong. I became aware. This is where my journey began. Community engagement to me means building connections and working together to make a difference within the community. The main principle that I have identified is listening. Listening to yourself through reflexivity and positionality, and listening to others through counter stories and intersectionality. Both of these are necessary to successfully engage within one's community and are mandatory for further improvement. I believe that the most important starting point would be to listen to oneself by unpacking our invisible knapsacks. According to Peggy McIntosh, the invisible knapsack is an invisible package of unearned assets which I can count on cashing in each day, but about which I was meant to remain oblivious. These knapsacks hold the privileges that we as individuals have, but do not always acknowledge, and are therefore sometimes deemed invisible. This is because as humans, we cannot always see what our privileges are until they are brought to light. This work was very eye-opening to me, specifically because I do not always acknowledge all of these. During one of our in-class activities, we were told to think about a privilege that we always thought about, and then one we did not think about. For me, I realized that I never really thought about ability. I will make sure to reconnect with my blind spot by self-reflection. I will continue to remind myself about the importance of learning and reflecting on my privileges so that I will remain aware of my blind spots. I believe acknowledging the fact that we all have some type of privilege in some way is the first step in truly understanding how an individual can help or build connections and get involved in civic engagement as well as in the community. To fully understand what civic engagement means, we have to listen to others around us. With the pandemic, we were all affected in some way, some more than others. Many people lost loved ones, jobs, homes, etc. The best example that I found was the idea of counter-storytelling that was presented in the podcast by Glenn Washington called Outbreak at San Quentin. Counter-storytelling comes from Ella Baker's Catalytic Leadership, where she defines it as stories about power including race, racism, and anti-racism can be openly shared, respectfully heard, and critically discussed or analyzed. This podcast made sure that the stories of the prisoners were not only heard, but felt. Myself as a listener got to hear their pain and stories through the few prisoners themselves not from the mouth of another. My plan is to make sure that I create space for counter stories. To do that, I will choose to not speak for or over the voices of those who are not often heard. I will make sure to take a step back and let voices be heard without the possibility of mine or others silencing them. Intersectionality is something that I was not aware of until we read Mapping the Margins by Kimberly Crenshaw. Crenshaw defines it as the intersection of racism and sexism factors into black women's lives in ways that cannot be captured wholly by looking at the race or gender dimensions of those experiences separately. I plan on acknowledging the fact that even though I am a woman, I am a white woman. I go day by day with the privilege of my skin color, where I will never understand what it is like being a black woman. As a feminist, I fight for the rights of all women. As my duty not only as a woman, but someone who advocates for change, to stand behind black women and remain an ally. 
Getting engaged within the community, if that is overall or even interpersonally, helps with community engagement and building connections within it. I plan to take what I have learned and teach those in Tennessee to hold my family accountable. I will stand my ground. I will help to be the difference in my community. As I've gotten older, I learned that changing the world might look different from what I imagined as a child. I do not wish to be a charismatic leader who imposes my own will on an outside community. I only want my efforts to be understood through an intersectional lens, critical self-reflexivity, and radical listening. Issues faced by individuals are multifaceted, and oppression can come on the basis of race, sexuality, class, religion, age, ability, ethnicity, sex, and gender. Therefore, we must recognize that different forms of oppression interact and co-constitute one another as interlocking systems that overlap and reinforce each other at both the systemic institutional level and at the individual institutional level. For example, if we identify a problem such as domestic violence and we analyze how women as a whole are impacted by this, we will have an incomplete picture of the issue. Black women and white women will receive different treatment from police, ability to access help, and jail time for their offender. This is just one differentiating factor. Trans women will also be impacted differently as well as women from different socioeconomic statuses. All the aforementioned factors will overlap and determine greater challenges faced by certain women. Therefore, I will be mindful of all forms of oppression and analyze how they intersect with one another when engaging with the community. I am determined to practice self-reflexivity when working with a community. It is important for me not to analyze community issues from my worldview or point of privilege. I will challenge myself to ask why I hold certain beliefs and question the privilege behind those beliefs. Society imprints strongly held notions that inform how we should feel about certain groups of people. This means no one is immune to implicit bias. We must all be tasked to actively unlearn racism. I will do this through educating myself rather than asking others to do it for me. And when working with a community, I will understand the critical importance of learning from other leaders and respectfully building on that wisdom by adding whatever expertise they were bringing to the effort. I am determined to be a radical listener when working with the community. If I am not a member of the community I am working with, my first and most important job will be listening to them. A lesson that was learned from Ella Baker's catalytic leadership is that we aren't always looking for what individuals are saying, but we're also identifying what they aren't saying. This means looking for hidden transcripts, taking on their perspective, and coming from an empathetic position. There is tremendous power in elevating the voices of marginalized groups. I too will partake in this radical listening to give power to community voices rather than my own because I acknowledge that my own voice is not the most important one. I am no savior of a community. I will be a vessel with the intention of holding on to the stories of the community, and if allowed, sharing them with others. My ultimate goal is to emphasize the magnitude of my respect for the community I will engage with. I will demonstrate this respect with my intersectional lens. As my lens demonstrates, I will not consider individuals vulnerable to multiple factors of oppression as a single entity. My critical self-reflexivity encompasses my determination to keep learning every single day, to question the ideas that have been enforced on me and how those have made me complicit. Lastly, my radical listening highlights my desire to intake the goals, struggles, needs, and questions from the community.
When I was a child, my grandparents ingrained in me the importance of community, that people of your community have the potential to be the foundation of your future. I always think of my community as someone that holds me to my utmost standards, therefore I try to give back whenever I can. I frequently encounter and visit with folks who in some way instilled in my upbringing and provided me with knowledge of my community. As a result, I began to instill things that were second nature to me in my everyday life. People in my community taught me that community participation is not only important for progress, but is also the true essence of community engagement. So for me, the commitments that come to mind are informing and collaborating. The actions will be covered below using examples drawn from a number of sources and moments of my life to explain what strong community engagement comprises. I used to show up to every event, take a few notes on a topic, and then go about my business to show that I was actively listening. I never paid attention to what other people said. I used to believe that being present was all that mattered, but I'm learning that listening can help me grow. It prevented me from gaining knowledge or giving meaningful answers to questions about my community or school if I didn't listen. This also helped me to establish relationships with people who I thought I had nothing in common with. People who helped me grow tremendously, and by making the effort to understand the value of listening, I was able to see a side of myself that I had never seen before. The light in my head sparked, reminding me that my community is far larger than me. As a result, not listening interfered with my ability to hear my community, but it ultimately improved my growth. So in the future, I commit to listening actively, asking questions, and grow in order to best serve my community. Charles LePage, Philosophy of Community Engagement. First, I believe that every person has the potential to be an activist. Inside of each of us exists the potential to enact and incite change. The way I believe an activist should approach community engagement involves three steps. First, self-reflection, then listening, finally embracing failure. This three-step process encompasses what I believe is the proper way to engage with any given community. Understanding this process has the potential to create a healthy environment for community engagement. First, understanding critical self-reflection is the ground from which community engagement should be built. Even before you start to learn about a community, you must look at every aspect of your life and critically analyze your privilege and how it affects your motivation. This includes understanding why you're engaging in the community and how your privilege may affect your interactions with that community. Through reading Ella Baker, I learned to ask this question. Are you, quote, doing social justice leadership in equitable partnership with instead of on communities? End quote. This is the question one should ask before entering into engagement. Second, understanding and analyzing your motives helps to avoid the very common white savior complex. Side by side with this understanding, checking the privilege you have before entering into a community prevents the misunderstanding and pain that one may unknowingly cause by simple ignorance. Peggy McIntosh in her article, White Privilege Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, writes that commonly, quote, we work when we work to benefit others. This is seen as work which will allow them to be more like us. End quote. Unlearning this dangerous mental attitude towards community engagement is imperative. 
one must remember that ultimately engagement is not about you, it is about the greater good for communities and each individual. With this baseline understanding of yourself, the movement towards understanding others becomes much less treacherous and full of pitfalls. Personally, I have to realize that I am a white man. My privilege is evident, and understanding how that affects even how I talk with community members has been a truly humbling experience. I have learned that I can use my unearned privilege to help, but first, sometimes I just need to shut up and listen. The practice of radical listening comes directly from Ella Baker's Learn, Teach, Lead method, and it is the second step in my process, and I believe my definition of listening encompasses her concept of learning. Listening allows you to hear and learn about a community in all its intricate and beautiful, unique ways. Most importantly, it highlights your own silence. Without learning about a community, you can easily end up hurting them. Ella Baker writes that, quote, the challenge comes not in formulating the question, but in learning to listen for and engage with the response. This is why listening is so important. It allows you to address the needs a community actually isn't one of, instead of your projected ideas of their needs. From there, you can listen to the silence. You can listen to the voices who cannot cry out. Once you can create the space to hear people who don't feel safe to express their opinion, that is when you have achieved radical listening, and therefore true learning or understanding. Not only Listening not only helps you understand the community and the people with whom you intend to engage, but it also helps you to understand yourself and how you will engage with the community. Finally, we must embrace failure, radically moving forward, not staying static. Systems of oppression rely on people not progressing, but when someone decides to pursue failure and to push forward even at the expense of themselves, that is when things change. Take action. Go and find a need. Undoubtedly you will fail, but it is not out of fear of failure that you should do and achieve. It is with the knowledge that you might fail that you must push forward even harder. And so I believe embracing failure is a very positive notion of pushing all doubt aside and committing to change even at the expense of what you deem to be successful. Embracing failure means not being afraid of failure and being excited to learn from and push through your failures. Likewise, supporting and helping those who are publicly pushing for change is needed. We cannot out of fear let others fight alone. As Readings for Diversity and Social Justice points out in the article, what can we do by Alan G. Johnson? Support is most needed when we risk. Quote, support is most needed when risk is being taken. So we must pursue failure and help those around us who also do this. Conclusively, it is a community that is needed to support a community. We must work with others and for others. We must understand ourselves so that we can work with others. And we must understand others so we can understand ourselves. It is a recursive cycle that starts with each activist. Poem. Do I have the right to tell your story? What qualifies me to frame your existence in an instant, second? Just one picture can define you. And who am I? Anybody? Nobody. One and only me. I look out across the valley, golden, brown, water sound, 
history. Broken whole, my heart full. A forgotten battle, the fireplace mantle. Dropped, smashed, forgotten, found by I in the woods alone. Me, a trespasser in someone else's home. I come back to the outlook. Like a scroll, the valley rolls out in burnt hues, all red and golden brown. My hometown, small in the distance. Recalling it all, I fall to my knees, the pulse of the land beneath my hand. Live it all, tell it all. Shenandoah in fall. Pretty good, huh? These people amaze me. They challenge me to be a better teacher, a better activist, a better ally, a better friend. In that spirit, I'll leave you then with a poem that I read while collecting materials for this course. This poem comes from M. Francine Huckabee, an associate professor of curriculum studies at Texas Christian University. This poem follows the narrative arc of the interactive web documentary, Public Education, Participatory Democracy in Times of Privatization, listed under resources in the podcast notes. Huckabee's poem is titled, Grassroots Pedagogy, and it goes like this. As education turns profit, viable, losing rooms and halls, desks and chairs, unjustifiable. As threats spread, failures, turnarounds, underutilization, where rhizomes shoot, here, there, unparalleled education. As democracy labors, public schools close, where desperation yields to action, resistance grows. As budgets increase for algorithms, score-boosting guarantees. Where draconic dens hide, we stand, struggle, win victories. As curricula narrow, struggles widen. And to the streets, pedagogy goes. Protesting, drawing signs, making art, marching on, marking ballots. Running candidate, hunger striking, speaking up, talking back, standing, strong, chanting songs, testifying. Pedagogy takes root as education turns viable. From Christopher Newport University, this has been The Tidewater Project, a podcast dedicated to documenting regional perspectives on the universal ties that bind us. Please continue to explore our podcast and the stories we aim to share. This episode of the Tidewater Project was recorded at Christopher Newport University during the fall 2021 semester as part of the course materials for IDST 250, Introduction to Civic Engagement and Social Justice. Music for this episode was created by CNU student and fellow podcaster, Christina Richardson. The audio was mixed by Brooke Covington and features recordings from the following CNU students. Christina Richardson, Alexis Harvey, Annie Ng, Ashley Sharabi, Chris Mojica, Christine Nguyen, Cassidy Reed, Kate Bowman, Masego Morig, 
and Charlie LePage. All references and resources related to the topics covered in this episode are provided in the podcast notes. Should you have any questions about the Tidewater Project, please reach out to me at brooke.covington at cnu.edu. I'm always eager to chat about all things related to podcasts, pedagogy, or place. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Tidewater Project.